Do you want to jumpstart your innovation? Applications are open for the 2022 Rosamond Innovators Program. Connect with people who can speed up your scale-up in health tech, subject matter experts, clinicians, partners, and investors. Deadline to apply is April 11th. Visit rosamondinstitute.org to learn more. And then when our technology works for them and they're seeing their you know, foot move for the first time in five years, it lifts you up. And, it, and, it, and when I wake up every morning, I think about them and I think about my daughter and it's easy to get excited. And we are at the forefront, and, you know, like bringing technology to the human body. This is exciting. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. I'm so excited to introduce our guest, Jeremiah Robinson, who has a business that is very personal. His company's wearable technology will help people with chronic conditions move their legs and feet. One of these people is his daughter, who has cerebral palsy. Jeremiah founded Psionic in his garage four years ago. He also co-founded Wowos, which also supports children with cerebral palsy and other conditions. And today, he tells me about his career and his family led him to where he is and how technology can improve most all conditions. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you, Jeremiah, for joining me this morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a while since we connect, and that was before covid Seems like I can't believe COVID is two years, almost two years ago. Um, you have really interesting background. You were not in healthcare. Now you're doing something in the healthcare space. Can you tell us a bit about your your journey? How you get where you are today, and why you're doing what you're doing with uh, Cyanic? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So. Like you said, I started my career um, in technology. I actually worked uh, in neural networks at the very beginning uh, on uh, the device called the Newton at Apple. So embedded systems, neural networks, hand-tuned assembly code in the late 90s. Um, And I've always had this fascination with computing and the human body. Um, And I uh, started uh, in embedded systems and then I slowly went into more and more human-centered computing. I, I actually worked with Max Levchin and learned how to be a CTO and a startup and an entrepreneur from him. Um, and then my first company was actually building uh, algorithms for sensing the human body in non-invasive wearables, which I sold to Jawbone, which became the backend for the UpTracker. So we were doing things like step counting and activity classification and sleep cycles. Um, and it was just at that time that I actually got the diagnosis uh, for my daughter that she had cerebral palsy. And she was born really premature, 28 weeks, two pounds, four ounces, um, and came out not breathing. And that caused what is uh, brain damage. And that has affected her motor cortex. So what her challenge is, is with gait and movement. Um, and so... 
you know, it was 10 years of living as a parent in one foot in the technology world building, you know, really exciting things to look at the human body. And then as a parent being very frustrated of not having solutions that could help her to live in her, uh, you know, everyday life. And so I said, well, you know, if not me, who, if not now, when? And so, um, you know, I stepped down from Jawbone and started just building prototypes in my garage of garments that could be worn on the body to analyze movement, predict what uh, is going to happen next, and then ultimately to augment that movement. So for us who are not familiar with uh, living with a child with cerebral palsy, um, can you tell us more about what that's like? What are the challenges that kids have and as parents? Yeah, so, you know, um, we all want the best for our children, the best life, the most experienced, full and rich and joyful um, and uh, having a mobility difference, you know, it it really challenges a lot of those expectations that people have of what your uh, child is able to do and what resources are available. And we're very lucky our daughter does not have any cognitive impairments. And she's been able to go to mainstream school. But there's always these moments where she wants to be doing the activities with her friends um, and because of uh, the damage that was caused and of her you know, traumatic birth, uh, it's difficult for her to sequence the muscles in her body. And so um, she uh, walks a little more slowly and a little more compromised and has faults as well. And this is um, you know, fairly typical of the spectrum of neurological diseases. Um, cerebral palsy is the most common childhood disability, but now we're seeing more and more adult neurological um, conditions. Stroke, 7 million Americans living with stroke, a uh, million Americans living with multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, another million folks, and then the long tail of neurodiversity. Um, and so it's really becoming prevalent in healthcare of how to help these people live independently and engage in their community, just like my daughter. Mm-hmm. And how does cyanic technology do that? So we've been focused first and foremost, on gait, so the ability to walk. Um, and we like, to, we like to say walking is freedom, uh, and it really is uh, independence and being able to, as I said before, engage in the community. And so what's interesting about neurological populations as opposed to, say, an amputee, um, the neurology is the challenge and not the musculoskeletal system. And so they have intact... Uh, muscles, intact skeleton. But the challenge is the the brain, the signals that the brain is sending to the body are disrupted in some way. So within a a stroke, you often have what is uh, called foot drop. Uh, And foot drop is the inability to uh, activate the dorsiflexors in the foot to activate the ankle. And so what happens is people end up dragging their foot, oftentimes causing falls. Uh, And now falls is a big challenge in and of itself. Um, And so what our technology does is, one, it can read those neurological signals of muscle firing. So we use surface EMG to analyze the signals being sent from the brain to the various muscles in the leg. Um, And then our system can uh, use, uses algorithms to 
predict what sort of intervention is needed. And then we use functional electrical stimulation to activate the muscles. And so we're actually able to force a muscle contraction in the body. And because we use an array of these um, electrodes or, uh, around the four major muscle groups of the body, we're actually able to create complex sequenced movements that create a more natural gait movement. And how does the brain can talk to your device when you put the device somewhere else that's not in your brain. Yeah, so the, 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 the human body is this amazing electrical system, right? And the, when the brain, uh, when you want to move your body, your brain is sending an electrical signal uh, that travels down through your spine and out through the periphery nerves. And those electrical signals are what activate the muscle body. And so, uh, you know, for... Um, people who me are are not neurologically impacted, you know, the ability to lift your foot and turn it out and navigate around objects, that's all an electrical signal. And so we use uh, uh, the same array that we are using for our stimulation, we can also use for picking up those muscle firing signals. There's a technology called surface EMG, and then we clean that signal and then we build algorithms to interpret that signal as well as the kinematic output, the orientation of the body. So we kind of have both the cause, um, the cause and effect, so what the body is intending to do and what the outcome is. And so I know we briefly talked that you, just before COVID, you successfully raised the funding to get where, because at any startup, when you start a company, having funding is it's nice and it's important to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, so where are you in terms of the stage of the development? And when, uh, when do you foresee somebody like your daughter can benefit from your technology? Yeah, so brief history of the company. Uh, as I said, I started in my garage in 2018 building prototypes. Even before uh, taking on any capital, I wanted to convince myself that this was not just... Uh, a parent really desperate for a solution that there was possible because I'm making a commitment, you know, just not just to investors, but to my family as well. Um, and so uh, fortunately, I was able to <laughs> convince myself that something can be done, albeit very complicated. Um, and I was able to um, bring in some capital with um, uh, caffeinated capital, led our seed round with a bunch of wonderful investors, including my uh, former boss, Max Levchin, um, and then we built the first prototypes and the first end-to-end -end system we had running uh, in 2019. And with the uh, algorithmically powered end-to-end closed-loop augmentation system, and uh, just at the beginning of the pandemic, we raised an additional round of capital led by Epic Ventures and Blue Run Ventures to help us bring that proof of concept to fruition. And obviously, it's hardware, it's healthcare, that means regulatory, uh, that means manufacturing. And, you know, for a small team, and we are quite a small team, we have uh, only about a dozen people working across uh, hardware, software, algorithms, uh, and soft goods. Um, we have been able to take that initial technology and build it into what uh, we recently submitted to the FDA, 
uh, in November. And so we are uh, now in that review process for our application. And, you know, I can't control the FDA, but, um, you know, they're what, pretty I good at heart these days. They are. They're amazing. And, you know, what, they're, they're out in front. Um, and, and it's exciting to be working with them uh, and to be, you know, hopefully less than a year away from mm-hmm. actually being in people's lives. And that's so exciting. Our technology is designed to be at home and to be used in the home uh, uh, and on the body. So help us understand when, you know, for, you know, I'm just imagining the technology you mentioned is a sleeve, as a garment and why the FDA regulatory care about net to go into regulation. I'm- yeah. So um, there's two bits of it. Um, the the first is that we are dealing with healthcare populations. So um, the FDA wants to make sure these devices are both safe and effective uh, for these populations. Uh, and second, we are uh, putting current into the body. And so that's the reason that instead of maybe a class one device, it's a class two device. Um, and they want to make sure that you are have controls and limits and safety precautions of how much current you're uh, sending into the body. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group, Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. And so, assuming that FDA approved it within the next 12 months or so, what's the mechanism for people to get access to the technology? Is this going to be consumer? Or is this going to be something that doctor has to prescribe for you? Yeah, so our device is a prescription device. Um, and that means that either your doctor or a, a neurologist that uh, we can refer our, part- our patients to um, will write a prescription, um, helping us to understand exactly what the deficits are because with these neurological conditions, there can be a diversity. Uh, so which muscle groups are... Uh, impacted. And then we will run a virtual assessment over uh, a, a Zoom-like session that is built into our application and get the device um, uh, set up for them, um, as well as what exercise programs uh, they will do. And then the periodic assessment. Um, early on, since this is you know fairly new um, technology, we'll be selling directly to the consumer. And then we will we are continuing to do clinical trials to help prove out uh, the economic uh, benefits to the payer system so that we can then eventually get this reimbursed. Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking about somebody with stroke, there's, you know, the arms and then the legs and, you know, what different, is this something that you guys can do for any part of the body? Yeah, so we build our system first and foremost, as a platform from the ground up. And so focusing on that integration of a sensing system, uh, an algorithmic 
engine and uh, augmentations specifically in stimulation. And that can have a wide range of applications from gait and balance that we're focusing on now with the lower leg to uh, an upper extremity sleeve that can help with grasp and contractures. As you said, with stroke, the, the, uh, it's typically one side of the body that is impacted and causes uh, both the challenges with uh, locomotion as well as grasp um, and being able to find motor skills. Um, so our first product, lower leg sleeve, um, and our ultimate goal is to help to accelerate uh, innovation in the space of mobility beyond just our own capabilities. And so um, I think about it this way, right? Uh, if you can make delivery of these new solutions at software speeds and software costs, if we can have a flexible platform that lives on the body, but that you can push new applications to in software, well, this will accelerate. This will accelerate innovation in the way that cloud computing accelerated uh, innovation in the space. And that's what people need, right? You know, it's crutches, canes, wheelchairs, walkers. That's what we have now. Right. Um, but it's really costly. The average time and money that it costs to bring a new medical device to the market or a pharmaceutical for that matter. So a medical device, it's, you know, uh, $30 million in six years. That's a long time for any company to invest. And so if we can do that, uh, at software speeds and software costs, and much like the explosion we're seeing now in uh, cognitive behavioral therapies that are being released on the iPhone and others, it's just a, an explosion of, of new innovations for mental wellness, which is fantastic. And so we believe that if we're successful, we can do that as well. There's so much great innovation that's happening in labs, but they're having to build their own hardware and they're not building it to a production level where consumers can rely on it. So how can we accelerate, get that innovation out of labs and to the people who need it? And uh, how do you see that can happen? Because I feel like, you know, my my brain uh, function is kind of limited here. It's like software, I feel like you just type the code and then you can just scale it up. But then when there's a hardware, that's, it seems harder yeah. So, I mean, there's two aspects of it, right? One is um, what we build as a platform. Um, and so we have a number of APIs that allow people to collect data, build new models, and thus new intervention strategies, all within electro, uh, all within neuromodulation. Mm-hmm. And then they can deploy those to the body. So in a research context, you can do that uh, just in the context of a study. Now we talk about getting that out to in production, right? Now you have a regulatory and a clinical trial um, aspect. Fortunately for us, as I said, the FDA is already out ahead of us. They have a, a new set of guidelines around software as a medical device. Mm-hmm. And so the intention is really to enable solutions like ours to be expanded. They did set it up initially for uh, apps that would be released on your phone or your computer. And the idea is you still have the same regulatory concerns around safety and around efficacy. You need to provide the clinical data, but you don't have to build, you don't have to validate the platform itself. The platform itself comes as an ingredient technology. And that is because our platform will be certified itself as uh, a medical device, then um, they only have to certify the software aspects mm-hmm. of that and the clinical benefits of that. Okay, that's good. So like you said earlier, you start your career in a more consumer product and now you're doing this for healthcare. What are the lessons learned that you learn doing working on a consumer that it works really well with what you're doing now. And it's some part that you feel like, gosh, that was so different that 
I cannot really think that way for the, the healthcare. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that have really translated well for us, um, and especially because I work in consumer health fitness devices um, that were wearables. And so one of the huge challenges of anything wearable is that computers really aren't made to be bent or broken. Uh, they're not meant to get wet. Um, and so reliability um, is always a concern. And, and living through those challenges has helped us to design a product that can endure the stresses of, uh, of being a wearable solution. Um, the second is really, you know, and I, I have to think about, think that the people who, you know, like Max and like Alon Rossman, who I've worked with, this idea of what is a platform. And this is something that, like, is really hard to conceive of in the healthcare world, but in the consumer world, it's, it's sort of the aspiration of so many companies. And what does it take in terms of building APIs, building the right tool sets so that it can make innovation quite rapid? So those two things have been really beneficial to us building out you know, the, the tool sets uh, that we needed to get to this point. And also, we have a couple of research labs that are already building on top of these APIs. So you know, consumer hardware, uh, API-based platforms, those translated really well to our success. But there's a whole different mindset that has to come within healthcare um, that is challenging. And we're, we're, we're working through this idea of you know, how do you you know, you talk about a company like Facebook, run fast and break things as being their model. Like this idea of A-B testing out in the field on a medical device, that's kind of, you know, crazy talk. But <laughs> we're able to do some of that through our trials. So through our trials and through, you know, with clinical supervision, it's just a, they're longer timescales. And as we think about launching upgrades to the product, we can't do that in, you know, just ship it out to the field. We actually have to go through the process of retesting and redoing our compliance and then resubmitting in some cases the, the, um, just the software aspects to the FDA. So, you know, I, I think it's a bigger time cycle and, I, and I'm super blessed by our, our uh, investors and the patience that it takes to do something. This is a 10-year time cycle as opposed to some, you know, uh, companies that might be on a one or two year time cycle to get real innovation. So, you know, those are the biggest differences I see. Yeah. Does it make you feel like frustrated sometimes? Because I think there's oftentimes people who are from the tech side wants to do healthcare. It's like, oh, I can just do it all. Like, they're too slow. We can do it so much faster. And how do you kind of accept thing that that is the new norm or reality that you have to deal with? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be really hard if I didn't have such a personal motivation in it um, to accept the challenges of time. But even even if it wasn't the regulatory side, it just takes a long time to work with the human body to have a real impact and have a clinical impact. And so, um, but our our participants, our people who come in for our trials, our users, sort of lift you up. Because they have these stories that they, you know, of their lives and how their lives are impacted, and then when our technology works for them and they're seeing their, you know, foot move for the first time in five years since you know since a, a stroke event or someone who has uh, MS and they have very challenged gait but they're actually able to feel more confident and more stable, you know, it 
it lifts you up. And, it, and, it, and, and when I wake up every morning, I think about them and I think about my daughter and it's easy to get excited. And we are at the forefront and, you know, like bringing technology to the human body. This is exciting. And, you know, maybe five years ago, it would seem impossible. And I know you are, you are someone who believes that applied appropriately and with the right mindset, technology has a huge potential to impact Healthcare, and it's really like in in my mind, what a what what more exciting place to be working? Yeah, no, I think it's um, I I totally agree. I think when you see how your work impact a person's life, that it's almost like the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Like you can do all those without being a doctor, right? I think that's what the doctor feel when they you know deliver the good news to a patient. I think. Yeah. Well, and the fun part is we get to we get to work with physicians and we get to hear sort of we get to understand the physiological and the neurological basis of what is happening in the body. And that get you know, it it's you know, the same thing that I love about hardware is you work with people from different domains and disciplines to understand a complex problem. Now we get to involve uh, the the medical profession and they have been so embracing of of this and, and it's been it's been a key uh, you know, driver for how quickly we can actually deliver something is to not think of it as something we're doing outside of the medical community, but this is something that can really benefit and uh, from the participation of the medical community and the knowledge that they have of the human body and what they've seen. I mean, you know, to that helps their patients live more independent and more mobile lives. And so, you've started a company, you sold the company, and now you start another company. Um, you've done this before. What are the three or four or five things that you think helps an entrepreneur or founders to get through the, the hard times, but also lead a team that can deliver? I don't know that I have the magic formula for everyone, but there are three things that have been important to me. And the first of that is just pick something that you really are passionate about. Um, because there are going to be lots of ups and downs. And you need to have clear conviction of what you want to bring about in the world to, to, to live through those. Um, and you know, that, you know, that's the first and foremost. Uh, the second one is surround yourself with people that share that passion. Um, I've been fortunate enough in my career to be able to have the same set of people, the same... Uh, with the same drive, sort of come with me and, and start these companies together. And that, uh, you know, that makes all of the difference in the world because just like the ups and downs uh, that challenge your conviction, it's also those people, your conviction and the people around you uh, that can lift you up. Um, and that extends into your investors, right? You need investors that share your conviction in the world and I remember when I started my fundraising, I'm going to talk about hardware, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, elder care, and I'm going to talk about reimbursement. I can leave now. Like, if, I don't want to like, waste anybody's time. And I think that really, you know, it's not just the money, right? It is, it is having someone who will back you through the journey. Um, and and so you know those three things the the people you work with the investors that back you and the conviction you have those are going to set the stage for your success 
and you know, just like buckle up. This is fun. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, it's almost all also a mindset too. If you make it fun, then it could be fun, and if you don't think it's fun, then everybody surrounding you would feel that it's no fun and it'll impact them. Um, last question before I let you go, like mistakes that you did that you, it gives you, you know, we make mistakes along the way and what are the mistakes that you remember but actually taught you a lot to help you shape who you are today? Yeah, I, you know, I early on in my career, um, I have a really hard time asking for help. Um, there was, and it was a pride or ego or just fear of opening up. Um, and I actually think that, you know, my experience with my daughter, it was not something I, I could internalize. I couldn't like grit my teeth and figure it out. I needed to open up and I needed to share, uh, with folks. And that has extended into my career where being more vulnerable, um, about the challenges you're facing. And, and as an entrepreneur, and you, you know that like the, the ups and downs emotionally when things go well and things go poorly and you're out raising money and someone tells you you're, you know, you're insane, uh, you, need, you, need, you need to talk to somebody. And so I think that was probably you know, early on my biggest uh, mistake. And I'm still working on it, you know, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's interesting. I want to share with you because I, I mean, you said that about, you know, ha, um, uh, with your daughter condition, help you to learn to ask for help. And when my husband passed away eight years ago, I don't know, you were raised to be independent, right? That's how our parents, at least my generation, and asking for help would just be like burdening other. But I think when you're facing such a hard time, then you are so stuck that it forces you. You have to find a way. So maybe that's you know, turn out to be a good lesson to have. And I definitely become more open up about a lot of things that I would not have had, you know, eight years ago. It's uh, yeah. I think it's uh, I think there's somewhere the story. I think they say that if you live. In the war zone area, people tend to be willing to, you know, ask for help, help each other. They live in a funny, happier, and not happy place. It's kind of interesting. So, yeah, um, I, my wife and I have said, you know, if we could take it away, if we could take away her cerebral palsy, we would, of course, do it. But it has shaped who we are and what right. we do so much as people. Um, that I'm profoundly um, grateful that, you know, I have her support and that I am able to commit my life to something of this level of importance. Um, so it, yeah. <laughs> these are, you know, these are challenges, right? And we're all, we're all seeing this in our, our own time. I can totally relate with what you're saying about, you know, my husband passed away, but at the same time it happened, but it also you look at life differently I mean, you look at life differently. I mean, I like who I am today. So I think maybe that's why you feel like it's a gift with even being a heart. I don't wish on anybody. But when I told my friend, it's been a gift, which is kind of a weird thing. How could a horrible thing be a gift? 
Well, I know it was one of the big inspirations for why you started the Rosenman Institute and the work that you're doing today. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, we make the best out of what we are dealt with. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And you'd be amazed. There's so many people out there who are, you know, very supportive. And I think, I think sometimes we forget. The news make it look like everybody's horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it. Um, I, I mean, the last two years have been tremendously challenging for everybody. Um, yeah. And I remember when it was first happening, you know, it's like, you know, I, like, how can I help? Right. Um, and actually, the industrial design firm that we work with now, Fuse Project. They reached out and said, like, "Hey, we want to build a ventilator." And I was like, "Okay, I'll help." And so we like did this whole project to build a ventilator. And like, it was like, in retrospect, it was like, "Why did we do that?" But it felt like we needed to do something to help. And I think more and more people in you know, I, I think as bad as they you know paint certain things in the media, I feel like more people are having more of those conversations about what can I do to benefit. My community. In fact, in in some ways, it's how our it's our how our head of hardware came on. Is like I, you know, with everything going on, I just feel as though I want to do something more than make beds. And he was like making smart beds at the time. Want to do something more than that? And so um, it was. You know, it's people do care. People will come together and they will respond. Um, and um, I mean, you said it well on you know earlier bef- before we started, which was around. Now we're seeing people innovate in spaces. Small entrepreneur teams innovate in spaces that f- before seemed impossible. And I think part of that is like, okay, let's look at what has happened with COVID and like how people, small groups of people, can come in and change the world, um, and not just limited to what can you do on a you know in technology, but what can you do in healthcare? Yeah. No, I think it's. Uh... I felt sometimes the media focus on a lot of something that is, I don't know, newsworthy or news excitement. Uh, but I think a lot of the technology, it allow us to be connected to a lot, a lot more people that never happened before. I think that's really exciting time. And I'm so grateful that a lot of people look at technology and see how can it apply to healthcare, improve people's life. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing with me your story and the exciting work that you're doing at Psionic. I'm looking forward to see more and more people can benefit from your technology. Christine, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.